Welcome, church. Um, what, a, what a good morning it is. Wasn't it outstanding outside this morning? It's beautiful. And I've been reminded all week long what a treasure it is to be your partner in ministry and uh, what a grace that is for me. What a blessing um, over scores of events this last year with just hundreds of you just being able to partner in the work of what God has called us to. Um, every one of you, I want you to hear deeply in your soul today uh, how good it is to serve together and to honor the Lord. And we celebrate you, rightly so, because you're being faithful and doing a great job. But first and foremost, most importantly, we're celebrating the Lord Jesus Christ. Not any one person or any one deed. We're celebrating the Lord because he's the one that's been at work in and through us. He's redeemed us, a people for his name to use us, and that in itself is really worth standing back and treasuring and saying thank our thanksgiving to God for. If you missed last week, we've begun a message series in the book of Ephesians. I'd invite you to turn your Bible open to Ephesians. Um, there are some Bibles provided for you. If you don't have a Bible or didn't bring yours, it's on page 976, something about that. 976, look there, and if that's wrong, um, you just shout out and let me know the right word. So, book of Ephesians, and if you brought your phone and you just have it on there, that's great. Don't play games during the message. Just, yeah, get right. Let's get into God's word because um, if you haven't discovered yet, this really treasured book of Ephesians is transformative. It really is rich and deep and has so many good things to say to us. And this morning, we're turning our attention to the second half of that book. So, Ephesians chapter 1, the second half. And we're going to start in verse 15. I'm going to read out. I encourage you to listen to the word of the Lord and let it sink richly and deeply inside you. And then we're going to just try to dive a little bit deeper and see what God has for us this morning, okay? Listen to the word of the Lord. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. What a, um, I just, as, as God just opened this um, connection between this Sunday where we're celebrating you and this word, I just marveled at how, how dead on it is for us, those of us who serve together here, and how inspiring it is and empowering it is for us to think about this coming year and these words, how it connects to our service. So Paul's just finished describing in the previous verses, if you missed that or you're still needing a reminder of that, um, all of those, and for those of us who follow Jesus, all that we possess in Christ Jesus. 
and in God the Father. And all that Christ has done in our life from ages past, that he still has a purpose for us and he's leading us a direction in our life. And he gives us many of the uh, the fundamental doctrines, the foundations of Christianity in those first verses, 1 through 14. And then he comes here to a note of thanksgiving and praise. And in doing so, he invites us to think deeply about the things that we are um, processing last week, our identity. Who are we? What did God create us to be like? And what's our life direction? What are the most significant things we should be doing now, whether we are in our teens or whether we're in our 90s, wherever we are in between, what does God have for us? And this fitting prayer, I think, that Paul pens here is, is just really encouraging and strengthening for us because you were called to live an incredibly rich life. Now, you might not feel that right now. You might be struggling with your finances or with a boss you're struggling with or teachers at school. You might find yourself in, a, in the thick of disappointment or struggle or struggling with an addiction. You could find yourself in a lot of other ways. So when I say that you were called to live an incredibly rich life, you might feel like that's not your reality and that's just religious speaking. But I want you to hear it deeply this way down inside and underneath who you are today, that this really is truly God's plan for you. He loves you. And from the foundation of the earth, Ephesians tells us from the very beginning of all things, he had this in mind, to call you into a thriving relationship with himself and to give you purpose and meaning, a way to go forward for this week and for this year Pointing back to that reminder about our identity in Christ, Paul assures these believers in Ephesus of his just great gratitude. And he's, he's grateful for their faith. Now, we, we're going to hear this again in Ephesians, and we heard it already in the first part of chapter 1, that we don't get a big pat on the bat for our faith. Because why, why do we have faith in God in the first place? Because he gave it to us. Right? We didn't earn it. We, there's nothing that we did that produced it. It was a gift from God. Our faith is a gift from God. But he's thankful for it. Paul is thankful for it and the love in him. And so he, he offers his prayers to God. And I want to look into this prayer to see what he's praying for because it is rich. It's really rich. And again, I've been really moved as I've thought about this and our mutual role in each other's lives. How we are called as brothers and sisters in Christ, to be praying for one another. Really, you know, the richest times that I have in ministry are when I'm praying with people. This morning we were praying for, um, with a group of volunteers, you know, a group of friends that we gather together and pray with. Um, I was able to be at a couple of your homes this week, just praying with family needs and stuff and a couple hospital visits. And those times we are called together to pray earnestly and encouragingly for one another. Those are Rich moments. So I was reminded of this and I want to express to you again how deeply grateful I am to serve with you. And, and let me just give, I know there are a thousand people doing a lot of different things around here, but you don't often see some of the things that happen behind the scenes. And there's a group that just does great ministry with us behind the scenes. We call them our deacons. It's a group of people that faithfully visit people that are shut in or at the hospital or writing notes of encouragement or praying for them and caring for them. And 
Um, if that is your, the way you're wired to bring encouragement and to pray for people, I want to invite you to be part of that team, um, to be part of the deacon team. So just come and see me afterwards, or there you can see Ann Steely or a whole group of other people. But I wanted to say uniquely that um, as I read this passage, I was thinking of people like that who step into the lives and encourage other people for the sake of them to know God. So as we discovered last week, uh, this God is inspiring us to worship him and to serve him. And here's the great news. He's our father. That's the way the language is used here in Ephesians. We're his kids, and he's given us wonderful purpose for the praise of his glory. So what does that mean? What does it mean to live for the praise of his glory? What does it mean that he's the father of glory, a a text or a a phrase to use right here in chapter one? So what is that? um, How do we understand that? In short, when the Bible uses the word glory, it refers to God being made visible. Remember, Moses is asking for it, and God walks by, and they see a bit of the glory of God. Or when the disciples, some of you know this story in the New Testament, where three of them are up on on a hilltop, And Jesus just flashes a little bit of his glory. They see a small bit of it. It's God being made visible. It's the hint, as it says previously in chapter 1, of the heavenly realms. That there are bigger things happening than we understand or realize around us this week. That God, in his greatness and his splendor, has other realities besides just what I taste and touch and feel. He has the bigger heavenly picture in mind. A few years ago, I was, we were doing a video venue on the other side, so a video cast over there and over in Livermore. And um, between services on the patio, someone came up to me, and I was introduced to them for the very first time. And they said to me, wow, well, I've been coming for a couple years. I've never seen you, never met you before. You're a lot bigger on the screen. I laughed. I laughed. I said, yeah, I'm pretty short, huh? But um, we have this great tech team that makes me look big. So, um, so it's not, what I want to say to you is some of us have a very small view of who God is. And when we start to know him deeper and richer, um, it takes our breath away, right? We, we discover in richer, fuller ways who he is. I'm actually the opposite. When you come to know me, you'll, you might be disappointed. You might think, oh, well, that's all there is to it. But for God, that's not the story. Right? For the Lord, the story is, as I get to know him in richer and fuller and deeper ways, I get a greater appreciation of who he is and a stronger pull and motivation to serve him, to be faithful to him and use the giftings that he's given to him. Now, notice what Paul specifically is praying for. He's praying that the Spirit of God would bless these people with wisdom that is, the capacity and will to act on what is right. And he would do that and bless them with insight or understanding so that they would what? So that they would know God better. Paul knows that that's really the core of it is. Years ago, a man named J.I. Packer wrote a book called Knowing God with a passion. He was a theologian, just with a passion so people would understand, know God. So every person would have a richer, fuller understanding because that's what's going to turn on the spark of your spiritual life. When you understand that this God, the high and holy and majestic God, full of splendor and power, is your Father, has called you into great relationship with himself. 
And that's why we're gathered around the word this morning, to know him better. Not just facts about him. So when I um, was thinking about getting married to Sue, I, I knew a set of facts about her, right? I asked her family. I, I talked to her. We went on some dates. I, I knew some stuff about her. And then when I got married, I discovered a lot more about who she really was. Um, so when Paul is writing in this letter about knowing God, he's writing about two things. First, that we would intellectually grow in our understanding of who he is, our knowledge of who he is. But that's only one part of knowing a person, isn't it? Knowing, knowing just the facts about it. So Paul prays specifically that the eyes of their heart would gain understanding. It's a, it's a great little word picture, isn't it? He's saying so that, so that they would fully know, emotionally be connected, understanding emotionally who he is. Jesus himself prayed in John 17, and this is eternal life, that they know you. He's talking about us, right? those of us who would come to know him, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So Paul, when he's thinking about this knowing about us in our minds and in our hearts, our emotions and wills, uses this phrase, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Over the years, I've observed all kinds of other people. I, you probably do this. I, I do it. I observe people in the, in the walk with Christ that I admire. And I, I want to get to know them a little bit better. I want to discover what really makes them tick and, and why their walk with God is so healthy and right. And this is what I've discovered, that those people who make the biggest impact for eternity, those people who are making the greatest impression on people around them, are the people that really know God better. They know God in a way that I have yet to discover him. Not just the head knowledge, but the heart knowledge and desire to know him better. In the scripture, we're told that the heart is the seat of the emotions. And Paul's prayer is that they, and by extension, that we may grasp this revelation. And I like the word play that he uses there because he's saying that When I come to know God, it's not because I work really hard at it or because I'm really smart or because I've done a bunch of deeds. It's because God has blessed me with the revelation. It's a revealing of himself. And that's the business God's into, that that he wants you and me to know him. So when you came this morning, God had this agenda that you wouldn't walk out of here without knowing and experiencing him in a deeper, richer, fuller way so that it would move you and change you this day, so that the eyes of your heart, so that you would feel the truth of this, not just in your intellect, but deep in your emotions, you may reflect and rejoice on who God is and his desires to accomplish in your life. There's this pivotal picture for us in scripture that um, I think some of us have heard, but it's really important to understand. So the Bible says that you were made in the image of God, right? You were made in some way in your humanity to reflect God. And as a consequence, we can't learn who we are until we know who he is. Understand that? You can't fully know who you are and who you've been intended to be, that is, a person who reflects the glory of God and his image, unless you really truly know who he is. And I believe that's one of the major reasons why many people today 
have a hard time discovering who they are. They have all kinds of confusion about their identity. They never learn what they can do or the possibilities that lie right within them and what their potential is in the Lord because they don't know who the Lord is. As believers, we have a weak understanding of who Christ in us is. And so we don't understand the possibilities of what God could do through us this week, what he wants to do in us and through us. We were called to reflect him and are called to live according to his purpose. And that's vital that we understand and know him and know his purposes. So in this context, Paul is praying that they would know. And he lists three essential things or components of that. If you look at the prayer. Here's the first one that they would know, Paul says, the hope of our calling. The first part of Ephesians 1, we got this picture, right? This really amazing picture, namely that before the foundations of the world, God had called those of us that are in relationship with him. God had a calling for our lives, and there's great hope in that. He chose you to be his child and he called you out to live a life outside of guilt or shame or regret, a life that matters. And our calling to Christ, I want to tell you, is high and it's holy. It is an astounding thing that the Lord has done. You have been called out by the creator of our universe to live for him and to bring reconciliation to a divided and broken world. That's how it said it at the very end of that first part in in verse 14, that we are to live as reconcilers. And he says that again in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that we are ambassadors in Christ as reconcilers to this world, to a divided and broken and wounded world. And in this calling, there is great hope because it doesn't rest on your genius or even your capacity for hard work. It rests on the power of the risen Lord Jesus. And our hope is in this reality that he is alive, that he is risen from the dead. And he is in us to work through us this week. That should move us and inspire us. Regardless of how we're presently wrestling with our kids right now, or struggling at work, or feeling disappointed or discouraged, the God of all power has this great calling on our life. And it's not just a hope for like one day when I get to heaven, which is a great hope. It's a fantastic hope. But it's a hope for this day that God would work and use you in your place of work. He would use every one of us who he has called for his purposes, for the praise of his glory. Secondly, Paul prays that they would know the riches of our inheritance And for those people who understand a little bit of the book of Revelation and have heard it, in fact, if you missed our series, you can get it online, but we went through a whole series in the book of Revelation. And a large part of that was about our inheritance, what one day God is going to do for us. But when Paul speaks about inheritance, he's thinking about two things in mind. First, all the riches we have in Christ for those of us who have given our life to him and are in relationship with him. Our inheritance is staggeringly great, right? Just read the text. Read the last part of Revelation. You just skip all the rest of it and just get right to the last part. You'll be amazed at how great our inheritance is in Christ. It's, it's stunning and overwhelming. But that's not the only part of our inheritance he's talking about. Paul is also talking about our 
our present inheritance. Not one day, you know, when, when uh, you're looking forward to some rich relative kicking over and you're going to get their big inheritance. That's not what he's looking at. He's looking at right now your present reality to enjoy the riches of Christ and your calling in his life. See, Paul believes, and he speaks to this in this book, that this enrichment and this inheritance we have is to be used and spent even right now. All the scriptures were told that we became Christians and God gave us past tense and is giving us present tense gifts. Gifts to be used for his glory and blessings right now. And God's inheritance in us is the joy he feels in using us to accomplish his work of changing people, of bringing them from life to death. Part of his inheritance is your present calling and what he has you doing right now, this exciting adventure in faith as he uses you right now, wherever you might be. I know one of the greatest thrills, and I know it's why many of you serve, is when God uses you in unexpected ways. It's the most wonderful feeling you can have that the God of heaven and earth would actually use your set of gifts and skills for his honor and for his glory. And so, knowing this, that my inheritance is not only just one day, but it's presently to be spent out through me. It brings me inspiration and encouragement. And that's why Paul is praying, oh, if you would just understand and know the riches of your inheritance, and not just one day, but this week, if you would operate and live your life understanding how rich you are and how, how strong it is, what a great blessing it is for you to be at your place of work or service and to be able to live out your life with the gifting God has for you and the purpose he has for you, whether you're at school or work or home, wherever it might be in your neighborhood, the people that you have to influence. We've spoken of this several times this year that you have a group of people that God has placed in your life and eight to 15 numbers of people who are God has placed in your life for you to influence for the kingdom. And they're part of your inheritance, part of what God has gifted to you in your life, that you might see his work in and through you in the lives of those people. So Paul prays for us to know the riches of our inheritance. And he also prays that they would know the greatness of his immeasurable power in us. That you would know this great power. When we receive God's gift of grace, when we come before him and we simply do this, we acknowledge that we're wrecked, that we're sinners before him and we need his salvation. We need his rescue and what he's done through Jesus on the cross. And we confess it and get right and real before him and transparent and just lay that before him and trust him. Put our confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. He changes us in very real ways. And part of the real way Paul is dressing right here is this power that it's work that is at work in us. Now, let me ask you, I want you to think about this week, this last week, just for a moment. Can you identify, if you're a follower of Jesus, can you identify one instance where the power of God was just so obvious 
You could not have done this. It was hid work. Can you identify one of those, those instances? If you can't, you're missing it. Right? You, you should be able to identify where God has been at work by his power. Here's one. He gave you life and breath this morning. You're here by the power of God. This is God who sustains your life. So you're here. I know that he has given you power. But beyond that, the power to accomplish his purposes in your life, Paul says it's immeasurably great. This power has this particular characteristic that it happens only when you begin to act. When God starts moving you, and acts through you. When you begin to exercise your gifts that God is calling you, then his power begins to flow. Not before then, but then. Then God will work through you to accomplish things and leave you sometimes like marveling. Wow, did that really happen? Did God really use me that way? I was talking with this group of guys that I really, really appreciate. They meet on Thursday morning. They're all... um, in a place of life, Howie is with that group, and a bunch of others are you. Are, and, um, and I appreciate this group a lot. They've got a lot to say. And I was, we were talking about a little bit of this, the power of God, that regardless of where you find yourself, some of us find ourselves in places, physical places, where we have limitations now. We're not in our 20s anymore. Right, Carly? We're not quite as, quite as young as we once were. God's power is not diminished, regardless of how old we are or our physical limitations. Actually, the saints that I know, the people the called of the Lord and that I know, are sometimes far greater. God's powers work at far greater when you're older. Why is that? I think there's two foundational reasons. One is that you know him more, and you know the power, the immeasurable greatness of his power in you. And you know this, that God delights to use the weak, because then he's strong. That's a foundational principle in scripture, right? That his glory is manifested when we are weakest. Some of you are at this place in life wondering if God will ever use you again, whether you're too old or too weak, or because of some other limitations, you can't do anything. Listen to this. It doesn't rest on your strength or your capacity. It rests on the power of God. That's immeasurably great. So this week, he has called you to this great task, and he's given you fantastic power. What does that power look like? Well, in the Old Testament, there was this really wonderful picture where um, God is calling his people into the promised land. And after 40 years wandering around being idiots in the wilderness, they finally get there, right? Moses has died. Joshua is now going to lead them forward. And, God's, and they have a river to cross. All these people have a river to cross. They still have to get into the promised land. And God says, so here's the plan. I want your priests to go first. I want them to carry the Ark of the Covenant and go before everybody else. And you got to trust me on this. I want you to just walk right into the river. I just want you to just go. I've got it. You need to trust. Do you think I'm powerful enough to do this? It's not that big of a river, right? Come on. But they still had to have the faith to walk across the river. And scripture says that things didn't happen until the priest like got right here and stuck his foot right on the water. And then the river parted. 
and they walked across on dry land. Why did God do that? God does a lot of things with great sense of humor, right? But why did God do that? I believe he did it for a couple of reasons. One is to help them know they're going to have to step forward and every step is a matter of faith and trust in him. When we have our faith and trust in him, great things are going to happen and his power is going to be displayed. And I also believe it's to help them understand that according to his call in their life, if they're going to accomplish all that he had for them, it was going to be an issue of his power and not theirs. They were weak, but he was strong. Scripture tells us that this power of the Lord is a power to overcome our sin, brokenness, and fears. That in Christ and in Christ alone, can our sin be forgiven? Can we be taken out of uselessness into usefulness? It's important to know our past and to acknowledge our sinfulness. I'm not discounting that. But once you know those things and then have been a person who has received forgiveness and grace, you can press on to where God is calling you. And it's a power to restore broken relationships. And that's why Paul points this out, that there's a mission you have. It's to be part of God's calling and purpose this year. Men and women, you might have volunteered last year. That's great. But this year, God has a calling on your life. Actually, this day and this week, a calling on your life. And that is to bring reconciliation to a broken and divided world. To bring the truth and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and have him mend relationships. Make their relationship right with the Lord and relationships right with one another. And it is the power to make our life count. Paul is not speaking of power like magic and escaping difficulty, but the power to thrive in an evil world and a power to make an eternal imprint on the world around us, on people around us. And it's the power of Jesus, literally, of Jesus in you. Ephesians 1.22 describes Jesus as far above all rule and authority and power and dominion above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. The one, this is the one who is enabling and empowering and inspiring your service. And if you haven't joined the adventure of God-powered service, consider this this morning, your invitation. Don't just sit there, right? Engage. So that you might know God and you might know his incomparably great power working in you. Because there's nothing like that. To see God use you in ways far beyond yourself. That's what we live for. For the praise of his glory and grace. Let me pray if I might. Father, thank you for this great prayer, the encouragement, the inspiration of it. Father, we're just so thankful for the calling you have on our life. We treasure that. For the incomparable inheritance we have in you, the riches of that in the future, but also right now in the present. And for this power, this great power of the risen Lord Jesus working in and through us so that we might do what you've called us to do, to be people who bring grace and truth in the lives of people around us and so that we might serve you faithfully. And we we pray these things for your honor, for your glory. We just praise you that you are a father who has given us these great gifts. And all God's people said, 
Amen. Thank you for listening to the Bridges Community Church Sermon Podcast. Bridges Community Church is located in the San Francisco Bay Area in Fremont, California. For more information on Bridges Community Church, please check out our website at www.bridgescc.org.